What's going on, everybody? This is Jeff Hillen with Selling Stories, where we discuss the struggles, successes, and life lessons learned through sales and in sales. $30 billion. That's a B, not a P. $30 billion. I've got Christopher Keith, the managing partner of Locked In Northeast. Locked In is the world's largest privately held brokerage firm with premium over $30 billion. Chris, what is going on? Hey, how are you, Jeff? Good to be with you today. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Chris actually was connected with me through one of my former college roommates. And my roommate was like, listen, I know this guy. You should talk to him. And we were able to connect on a call. One of the things you talked about was you didn't always get into sales. So I wanted you to let everybody know <clears throat> your background as well as how, man, you almost fired your first client and tried to walk away. So you got to tell us what that's all about too. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you that story. I was an IT guy right out of school. <clears throat> I went right into the IT consulting route. I was at Deloitte in our life sciences practice. I had no intentions of getting into sales of any kind. In fact, that was sort of an ugly word to me. I was a technical guy in my mind. I'm, like, <laughs> oh, man, I'm smarter than a sales guy, which you actually have to be pretty smart if you want to be good at it. Put a note down, everybody. Listen to that phrase. Uh, for sure. My wife went to Westchester and her college roommate had a baby and had his first birthday party. I begrudgingly went to it. Her dad was a recruiter, went to West Point. I'm sitting there talking. Where he goes, you'd make a great producer at the Graham Company. And I looked at him. I was like, Bill, I go, I, what? I don't know anything about the film industry. I'm an IT guy in a biotech industry. Like, I don't, I mean, because producer was synonymous with the film industry to me. Meanwhile, producer okay. is actually a term used in the insurance world for salesmen. You're producing business, which I hate that word. I think it's a terrible descriptor of what we do. In fact, I actually went with no title on my card because I just think it gives negative connotations with the prospect you hand in your card. What's producer? You're going to produce me? What does that mean? Sure. It's very salesy, which we'll talk about a little bit. My style of selling is you have no idea you're in a sales process. You're in one, but you don't know that you're in it. And those are the best kind. Yeah, of we're going to love to talk about that for sure. In any event, he goes, this insurance. I go, I'll get the hell out of here. I was thinking about sitting in my brother-in-law's living room on a Wednesday night telling him how him and his wife are both going to die and then I had to buy life insurance. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 it's commercial insurance. It's totally different. I went, oh, that makes it better. He goes, well, do me a favor. I watched the corporate video. He told me all the stories, the kind of money that he can make, how entrepreneurial it was. And I thought, I think I'm going to go through the process. And it was a rigorous interview process. They put you through all these uh, battery of psychological tests. You spent the day with a shrink. They wanted to make sure you were like the right kind of crazy. I remember when I came home and said to my wife, I go, I think I'm going to take this job. She's like, no, you're not. You were absolutely not taking this job. And I said, yeah, I'm going to do it. 15 years this month, I've been in sales. Did you guys have any promises like, all right, I'm going to go for this. But if I don't land what they said I was going to make after year one or year two, was there any kind of additional conversation to that? Or was it just like, I'm going for it? And she's like, fine, do it. I'm just going for it. I tell my kids this all the time. Whatever you think you are, you are. It's a mindset of, I don't have a backup plan because failure is not an option. I could not go back to the biotech industry with my tail between my legs. So everyone looked at me like I had six heads when I told them I was leaving a dough. They were like, what? I was like, yeah. the matrix, you took the blue pill. There's no going back. You know, the matrix exists. A hundred percent. So we never really made that agreement. It was just like, yeah, you're going to go do it. You've been good at everything else you've ever done. You're going to put your mind to it. And part of my personality falls too. I'm either like all in or all out with almost anything in my life. Working out like an animal or I'm not working out at all. So you're a maniac, right? You're just all in maniac it's, it's, style. It's a strength and a weakness. I hear you. I know what that's and, like. Uh, it hurts me as much as it helps me. You said you get into sales, you're going for it. Tell us a little about the story of what happened with this client that almost never came to be or why you almost fired him before they signed anything. Yeah. So 
when I got into the business, the first thing I started to do was tell all my friends and family, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. This is what we do. So I'm sitting on a beach in Bermuda with him and our wives and we're smoking a Cuban cigar. He's like, so tell me about what you're doing again. And I said, I'm doing this. He goes, and his uncle runs this nonprofit. It's pretty big. And he was just complaining about their insurance expense. I should introduce you. So he introduces it to me. Well, we collected all this information and it was well under the threshold of the size client that we would typically work with. We're trying to work with clients spending seven fifty in premiums because you're talking about seven hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, yeah seven hundred fifty thousand yeah. or more. Yeah. Because that's where we can move the needle. Quite frankly, it's where we can make income that'll allow us the kind of resources that we deploy to these accounts. We go to them, we gotta go do this to their face. We can't just send them an email. We sit down and we're like, and this was my first deal. I ever wrote in the business, literally number one. I was mm-hmm. really feeling scarce. I needed to pop a deal. And so yeah. we go, listen, we really appreciate the opportunity. You guys have a tremendous organization here. We love the mission. But unfortunately, you guys are just well below the threshold of the, the size client that we typically would work with. What we should have done is got that conversation out of the way in the beginning. That was an issue on our part. That was a lesson learned for us, for me as a young salesman at the time. We get up and he's like, man, that's disappointing. We really love, you guys are super impressive. We really love to figure out a way to work with you. Any way we can figure out a way to work, the guy we're like, not unless your business triples. <laughs> Getting up to walk out there, he goes, well, wait a minute. We, we do have this other insurance program. I didn't think you guys probably could help us with it, but you guys do anything with like home health? We have like five or 6,000 of them running around Philadelphia, working with people with disabilities, helping them live independently in their homes. Enormous amount of premium. Did we say that we couldn't work with you? Just ignore what we just said. We sit down at the table. He goes through the whole thing. We ended up like firing the guy one minute, going back and going, oh, no, 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 we can help you with that. But one thing you bring up that is extremely important for a lot of people to recognize is you have a benchmark, but there's almost the reality of what question aren't we asking? So yeah. when you meet somebody for the first time, you're trying to really understand in today's world, let's face it, there's more technology available today than there ever has been. Yeah. You do the best research you can. But the fact is there may be a division of an organization that you have no idea is connected, especially if they liked you. They wanted to work with you. It was more, how do we find a way to get to both of us across that line? Yeah. The other moral of the story is you got to ask a lot of questions. And, yeah. and if your prospect's not willing to answer those questions, then that tells you something about them. It's not what people say, it's what they do. Humans inherently do not want to disappoint other people. A lot of times people won't say that, and they'll drag you down a road and waste a lot of your time, and theirs, by the way. you got to ask a lot of the questions and pointed, tough questions. Is there an example in your industry where you would say is a pointed question that you've come to feel more comfortable asking after doing this for a little bit? The biggest thing is... I try to get them doing is talking about their business. Where's your business in the next 12 to 18 months? Can I see your strategic plan? If they'll show you that well, under an NDA, that's pretty pointed, right? You can get to learn yeah. a lot about that business because if I spend more than 20% of my time talking about insurance, I have not done my job. My job, I should be spending 80% of my time or more talking to them about their business. Insurance is the underpinning. That's the backstop. When the shit hits the fan... It's the one that protects the balance sheet. The idea is, how do you think about insurance in terms? Because most people just think of it as a transactional thing. They're in business. It's a necessary. They have to buy it. And oh, by the way, if it's not done right, it can put you out of business. If you look at your top five line items from an operating expense perspective, most of our clients' insurance is right up there. Payroll, benefits, insurance. I mean, it's right up yeah. there. And in today's it, world, it's a big topic. Yeah, it's a big operating expense for them. So I'm like, you guys got to think about, like, how do you finance that risk? Because it's as much of a finance discussion as it is anything else nowadays. That's why 
we're typically dealing with the CFO at wherever we are because they're financially equipped to make these decisions. I liked how you said, how do you finance your business risk? If you're in sales, not necessarily in the insurance world, but if you're in sales and you can ask a thought-provoking question, which is going to elicit a response other than a yes or no answer, specifically when you're getting to know somebody, you get to find out pretty quickly, am I just here because they're trying to get another number to try to get the guy that they're going to say yes to anyway? They're going to use me to beat them up. Oh yeah. If you can get that out of the way. And the other thing, maybe not your discovery call, maybe not your first call, but if you're willing to ask somebody and say, okay, here's the objectives we've outlined as what are critical decisions that need to be hit for you to make a decision. Yeah. Is there anything we're not talking about that we haven't addressed that is going to prevent you from making this decision? hundred percent. That's another really pointed question. Can you bring the future to the present? Can you fire this guy at your work? Because for me to get hired, someone's got to get fired. Yeah. If we do this, this, and this, can you see yourself making the change? Because you got to bring yeah. that into your mind's eye. Because if you look at that, if you or you think about that, and you get the heebie-jeebies, you're not ready to go through this process. We're not saying that you're going to guarantee us that you're going to make a change or you're going to do business with us, but you're open to the idea of potentially doing business with us if we earn that right. But we have to earn yeah. that. Now, I'm going to make it really hard for you not to hire me. I tell that to guys all the time. And know the parameters for yourself or your, for your company. Know the parameters of how you go to business. If you know what your appetite is and where you succeed. Like you said, maybe it's a dollar threshold. Maybe it's an area of coverage. Whatever that is in your world, know what that is. Because people, same thing. You don't want to promise something that you can't deliver on. And you look foolish and you lose your reputation or you lose that person forever. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, you're only as good as your reputation. Credibility is huge. I'm 46 years old. I'm playing the long ball still, even at 46. I'm not going to be out of here in two or three years where it doesn't matter. My reputation's worth more to me than any one deal. But not everybody has that. We talk about being abundant at Lofton, coming from a, in a place of abundance, meaning you don't need their business. You, just, you want it. Desperation's a cologne. Everyone can smell it from a mile mm-hmm. away. So when you're scarce and desperate, you're gripping a club really tight, like your prospects know that. Who wants to be sold to like that? Think about how you like to buy things. You sell to people the same way you want to be sold to. You make it more about them than it is about you. you keep it really conversational. These guys just come in and do these show up and throw up pitches where they're going to try to cure cancer. Meanwhile, the prospect just has a toothache. And if you were listening <laughs> and you were yeah. asking the right questions, you knew all you had to do was pull that tooth and you would get them as a client. Instead, he's like, dude, I don't have cancer. I have a toothache. Like, what are you doing? You missed the mark yeah. completely. Yeah, that's another yep. mistake I made as a younger sales guy. I'm sure there's somebody that got away or a deal that didn't happen exactly as planned. Do you have anything oh, that yeah. comes to mind on... Maybe a story I, of I got you one. didn't get the deal. I got one, man. And it's All right. another early on one. The other producer that was on the pitch with me was like, holy shit. He looked at me. Does this happen to you a lot? <laughs> we were working on a biotech company, a pretty large account. It was with a competitor, a regional competitor that we were fiercely going back and forth in terms of not only taking people, but taking clients from each other. So there was a deep hatred between the two firms. So if we could sure a piece of business off of them or, the, or vice versa... Everyone was in for that. Yeah. We came in and we eviscerated this thing. I mean, just just drove a truck through the whole program. It was just a pile of steaming shit. I said to him, if we're able to do these following things, demonstrate the fact that you got the wrong horse and the wrong jockey. If, if we can deliver on these, would we have a basis of doing business together? Yes, we would. I go, okay. Went back. Sure enough, we were able to deliver on all those things. They had a situation where they were using a contract manufacturer and ethanol was used in the process. 
and it wasn't properly sprinklered, they were public and they didn't disclose this in their Q filing. And so I say to them, I go, hey, listen, that, that's fine. If, you, if this is how you want to operate, right? You want to use one single manufacturer with the most substance on earth in the manufacturing process. The carrier has said that it hasn't been properly sprinklered. If that plant burns down, you guys are fucked. I was like, what are you going to do? I go, because yeah. what happens in your business? I go, people need that medication. You're in the biotech industry. They just go to the other brand, the other competitor's brand that they can get it. And you think they're ever coming back to you once they go on someone else's drug. You guys are toast. I go, so what I would do is I would disclose this to your shareholders. I go, or you can be sure shit that you're going to get a derivative claim by your, your shareholders if this happens. You're going to get toasted. Well, the general counsel at this point lost it. He goes, I've been doing securities advisory work for 25 years, and I'm sorry. I don't need you advising me on what I should be telling our shareholders and shouldn't. Slams wow. his iPad shut, gets up, goes, this meeting is over, and storms out of the room. At this point, I knew I wasn't getting the deal, and I was just scorching the earth at this point. It was like detonate the bridge. It was really immature. And the guy was with me. He was like a senior guy. He looks at me. He goes, dude, is, does that, that happen to you a lot? No, that hasn't actually. It's first time. But- I <laughs> was super pissed at me. And the, the CFO at the time, who I had a pretty good relationship with, has moved on from other places. And I haven't gotten a sniff at any of that business since. When you started down that path, were you confident that was the right thing to do? Or did you really think that was going to be the answer for them to be like, we agree with you? I didn't think that they were going to change their mind. They weren't going to do that. At this point, I thought, hey, the deal's toast. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind, though. I'm going to, okay. I'm going to call them out on their bullshit and be like, dude, wait a minute. You said this, this, and this, we would get the business. We've done that. He's like, look, you're not a securities attorney. You don't know anything about advising shareholders on this. And he's right. I don't. He basically called me out for getting over my skis. I should have been more of an adult in the room. And now I'm always a pro when we take the no. And I can't tell you how many times we've taken no's, act like a pro, firm they pick, ends up not being the right choice for whatever reason. Your phone rings. They'll call you back. That happens. It hasn't happened a lot of times, but it's happened at least five times probably in my career. You brought up the reputation earlier. And if you're in sales or you're in some sort of advisory role, whatever you do, you have to understand that your reputation is paramount. Oh, yeah. If you're going into a customer and you see things, that spidey sense goes off, something happens. And in your gut, you knew it was the right thing to bring up. Even if you lose the deal, as a salesperson, you can live with that. Oh, yeah. But if you're the guy, I'm going to turn my eye. I'm not going to see what's going on here. And I hope nothing happens. Why people do business with people is because they trust that they're going to give them the best advice they can give. And if you believe that's the best advice you're given, even if it's wrong, sometimes you can live with believing that you're giving them the best insight. That you I always tell my clients this. You may not like what I'm telling you, but you'll always know it's the truth because it's the easiest thing for me to remember. Right. Yeah. My clients do business with me because the way I'm talking to you right now is how I talk to my clients. Same cadence, same mannerisms. It's conversational. It's always professional, respectful, but it's it's very conversational. I'm not using the sterilized pitch where I'm like reading off a piece of paper. Does this guy even believe what he said? Did he even write this or did someone write it for him? I'm yeah. genuine and I'm authentic. As I've gotten older, my filter's gotten a lot better. As long as you believe that you're giving the best advice that's in their best interest. Not everybody else operates like that. Do you have a story or anybody that 
either cursed you out or maybe went a little bit above what you thought might be an interaction. And can you tell us about it? When I first got in the industry, a woman referred me to a publishing company up in like northern part of New Jersey. And I'm like, I don't know anything about the publishing industry, but hey, it's a prospect meeting. I'm going to go on it. No one could come with me at the time because as a junior guy, you always went out with a senior guy in the, when you first got in business. No one could come out. So I, I did it. I went solo. And I walk in and first guy, that guy has me sitting, waiting for him in a conference room. He's late. It's probably like 15 minutes after the meeting was supposed to start. He comes walking in. No notebook or a pen. That's a big sign. It's the most telegraphing act of disinterest being in a meeting that I can find. Before you go on, I just want to say, you know, this specific item, as you get more experience, there's things that come up and you see patterns of situations that you live through and then you start applying them. So again, I'm not saying this guy or the story is going to be identical to the 30 other stories you have in your life. But again, when you look into somebody's office and you see sports on the wall or what, you know, you use what's around you and you're able to make judgments and sometimes they're wrong, but a lot of time, if you have good intuition, they'll probably write. Yeah. So go ahead. Yeah, exactly. So he sits down and he's super tan. He's got these dark hair. He's super like this quaffed hair. I was like, hi, Michael. I'm Chris Keith. Nice to meet you. So-and-so introduced us. And I uh, really appreciate you taking this meeting. And he just sits back in his chair and he's like, just kind of like staring at me. Doesn't say a word. I go, so yeah, tell me about you. Tell me about the business. I can tell you a little bit about me. And and, and my firm, should you want to know, I was kind of fumbling around. He leans in and he goes, what the fuck do you want? I was like, well, what do you mean? So-and-so introduced us. You agreed to take this meeting. What do you mean? What do I want? I, I want to get to know you. I want to talk to you about what you're doing on the insurance side of the business. See if there's an opportunity for us to potentially help. I'm kind of new to the industry. We used to work together in, in the biotech. This woman her and I worked in the biotech industry together. And he did life sciences publication. He just leans in again and, and just repeats the same thing to me. And I go, um, well, I, I don't know. What do, you, what do you want? Do you want to just end the meeting and go our separate way? You clearly don't want to be here. I was like, and I'm sorry for that, but you had agreed to take the meeting and I presumed that this was going to be a constructive conversation. It doesn't seem like it's going to be. He's like, yeah, I don't really want to be here. That guy was huge, huge jerk. I remember calling the woman who introduced me when I got out of me. I go, who is this guy? What's his problem? This is what he just did to me. She was mortified. I drove all the way to Princeton for probably 30 minutes in total between him being late. Now, all the people that are not from the Northeast that listen to this show, I know what you're all thinking. There's a reason why we don't want to venture up there to do business. Is this really what goes down? <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, not everybody, but it's not impossible to find something similar. When you got in a car, did something tell you, all right, I got to rethink my strategy. When you talked about customers and the type of people that you're looking to do business with, did you start looking at the message, your friends and family and say, wait a second, I got to start outlining the type of people I want to walk into. I always said you get the clients that you deserve. To your point, getting real particular about who these folks are that you want to meet, being real specific about the types of businesses they're in. At that point, I was just glad somebody was agreeing to take a meeting with me. I didn't ask a lot of questions at all about who they were, what they, I just was glad I was getting a meeting. Now I have a lot of questions and I want to talk to this person before I'm going to go get in the car and go see him. I got referred to an account down in Richmond, Virginia by, by a fellow YPO buddy of mine. And I get on the phone with him. Before I meet with him, I got to have a, a call with him. And I ask him a lot of questions about him, his background, his family, where he's from, the business, how long he's had it, what's the top line, how many employees, where is it going. I'm not going to go 
get in a car for five hours to Richmond to potentially talk to a guy that it doesn't, it's just not a fit. Uh, well, you brought about it earlier too, Chris. As you said, you come come from abundance. When you don't have experience, it's hard to come from abundance. Yeah. It's really hard to put yourself in a mind frame when I am kind of desperate. I need clients. I need a pipeline. I need a funnel. When you've gone through it and you get some successes, some wins, all right, now I've established the type of people I want to work with. Here's the people I don't want to work with. Here's the kind of people are successful with. Here's the kind of people that it's not going to work. When you get that, then you can start having that abundance feeling. The fact of the matter is, is people are so afraid that if they say, hey, could I have a pre-meeting with this guy for the before the meeting or just maybe in a 10-minute conversation. It, what if they say no? If it's like involves getting on a plane or driving any kind of substantive amount of distance, it's like, no, dude, you, you got to be respectful of your time. You got to ask these guys the tough questions because you're going to be really pissed if you drove 10 hours round trip for a bullshit meeting. I'm still a huge believer in face-to-face negotiation, yeah. body language. But for an initial discovery call, especially if there's no relationship there, use technology for your advantage. Uh, Hundred percent. I agree. You got to get in person. Like this, what we're doing is great for you and I. But it, it was kryptonite for me during the pandemic. I can't look around the room and see this guy's a Phillies fan or he's a Rangers fan, and I can figure out a way to create some conversation and connect, create a nexus between he and I of some common interest. Start to build a rapport. I can't see all that. I can't really tell body language. And then nowadays, yeah. some people just shut their camera off, which is completely rude. The equivalent of shutting a camera off on a video conference call is like if you were in a conference room and you've been in the middle of the meeting to so say, you know what, I'm going to crawl under the table. I'm going to lift you from under the table. So why people think they can just go off their camera is absurd to me. There was a guy recently, we went into a meeting and it wasn't 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock. I think it was something like 1030. We sit in a meeting, we're going through their needs. He basically was in a bad, I'm doing this because we let go of the guy that was doing this. Totally didn't want to be there. He has a burrito he just microwaved. And he's sitting there and going, I just so you know, I didn't eat anything yet today. And during the conversation, he's just eating on this burrito. And I just sat there and I don't want to ask him any questions because the entire time I'm going to have to look at him, chew with his mouth open. Oh my God. I just, I was looking at the sales guy I was with. I'm just like, I cannot believe that this guy right now is eating a microwave burrito. And I have to listen to what he says and try not to have like particles of food fall on me as I ask him questions. It was unbelievable. Oh my God. I almost wanted to say, hey, why don't we go out to lunch? And this way, at least we're all eating. I should have said yeah, it. No, that's I didn't. should have said. Absolutely. Uh, there's different terms out there, but vampires, people that suck a lot of time and energy out of you. Yeah. What do you tell people that are chasing people that maybe just aren't good for business or just people that seem like they're always on the take, but they're never really giving you anything? Business relationships are like a marriage, right? They have to be reciprocating in nature. You both have to be getting something out of it. It's subjective. For me, I call them America's guests, vampires. They'll take game tickets from you. They'll play golf with you. They'll go to a nice dinner with you, but they're never going to do business with you and or refer you to anybody that, that you could do business with. And so this goes for both centers of influences and, and prospective clients. Maybe I like them, but then I figure out that they're just never going to help you. And so I always tell these people, when it comes to networking referrals, less is more because you got to be able to reciprocate these introductions. You can't feed 50 guys. You got to keep that circle tight. You got to like these people, whether it's directly in terms of doing business with you and asking those tough questions like, hey, are we ever going to be able to do business together in your uh, honest opinion? I know these ball games and all that stuff are great, but there is a business objective to this. On the referral cut, you got to ask, all right, who do you know? Can I look at your LinkedIn profile and your connections there? Tell me, can I see your client list? We just did a networking lunch a couple weeks ago with a new guy that I'm, I'm mentoring. 
And the guy brought his client list. I brought mine. We're like, all right, these three introductions would be great. I said, let's not boil the ocean. Let's do one or two meaningful introductions, see where they go, and then we'll go one or two more. One thing on not just vampires, but also potential customers is bring up people that we do business with. Yeah. Because again, I think it establishes equal rapport right to the point. We can handle your business. Yeah. You know? And I think in today's society, you mentioned time. Time is valuable. People more than ever 100%. are overworked. They're they're always stressed. People are just running around. So get to the point, but also establish some sort of instant rapport. I don't know all your issues, but I just want to establish just so you know, here's the people we've helped yeah. solve their issues. Yeah. And if you can get that right off the get-go, you get somebody's attention. And then you find out, then if you can establish that, okay, their guard's down, they want to hear more, then you can start asking the question. So yeah. is anybody else need involved in this decision-making? Are you comfortable in this timeline making a decision? Then you could start unraveling on them and push back on them. It's not just the light on you. And it's really important yeah. to get there. Yeah. It establishes credibility immediately. You want to do that. So a couple of final questions I have for all my guests, and it's been a great conversation. A lot of good stories, Chris, man. I loved it. If you have someone that's thinking about getting into sales, because you were that somebody way back in the day, right? Yeah. what advice would you give them? And knowing what you know now, would you still have done it? So it's interesting. If you're going to get into sales, find an industry that you know a lot about, the operational aspects of the business, how the company's manage their finances, financial metrics that they're measured by and what they consider success and not. Really understand, be an industry expert. That's one thing that transcends geographical boundaries or anything else. You have a sports hernia, who do you go see? Every NFL player, if they have a sports hernia, any professional athlete, they go see this guy in Alabama, Dr. Andrews. He's the formidable expert on these sports hernias. So people go to see him because he knows a lot about this one particular procedure. Same thing in an industry, like have a major, healthcare. If you know a lot about healthcare already, you're already working in that business, but you've never sold anything, but you know how the businesses are run and how people who run the businesses think. So pick an industry you know a lot about and try, if you're going to first go into sales and go in, try to get a sales job based on that. And your pitch should be to them, I understand the business, which is more important. I can learn how to sell stuff. Understanding what the business is, what the issues are, and how we can potentially solve them with whatever our products and services are. If you're selling the right way, that's what you're doing, by the way. You're consulting more so than selling. And so for me, I, I would 100%. I'm, I'm so glad I did it. It's been financially life-changing for my family, and, and I just love all the freedom that comes with it, too. One thing I wanted to add, one time I was talking to one of my buddies, and his father-in-law owned a company for HVAC, wear washing, dishwasher equipment. And he had mentioned about being on vacation. He would take these manuals and read these manuals about the information. Why the heck would he want to do that? He's on vacation. He's like, dude, that's his life. That's his passion. That's what he's into. He wants to be the expert upon everything that's coming out. And I would say, if you're getting into sales, what are you interested in your off hour time? If you're interested in certain passions, it's not work. It's an interest. It's a passion. And so that's another key point is, know what you love, what you know, and that'll seem easy. That's what's going to bring you joy and happiness. So go there. Yeah. Go there. Yeah, I agree. For people who want to know more about you or the business that you're in, where can they find it? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Christopher Keith, Magic Partner, Locked in Northeast. Selling stories, you hit the nail on the head, man. Your stories were cool. They're memorable. They're super relatable too. We've all been there. It's really important that you understand how you're going to take it versus how Chris takes it or how Jeff takes it. We're all going to handle it different, but it's really important to know what you went through, what I go through, and what they're going through or already went through. That's awesome stuff. So I really appreciate you sharing it. Thanks, dude. Happy to do it. Looking forward to the final product. Absolutely. All right, guys. This was uh, Selling Stories, Jeff Hillen, Christopher Keith. Everybody have a great day.